It's time now for another Pinball Profile. I'm your host, Jeff Teolis. You can find our group on Facebook. We're also on Twitter, at Pinball Profile. Email us, pinballprofile at gmail.com. Please subscribe on either iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And don't forget to check out our under-construction website, pinballprofile.com. i got to tell you, play a lot of different places, but you kind of want to be maybe one of the best in your own area, right? Because you, you know the machines more, and that's just not the case with all the players in the area I'm at. In fact, you kind of settle. I have a friend named Ian Harrower. He's excited a couple years ago that he was the only Ian or even person with the name that starts with I at Pinburg. Well, there was another one, so <laughs> he came in second. So I said, well, at least you're top two. I would like to be maybe the best JT in my area. I can't even do that. Why? Because there's this guy named Jack Tadman, and he is on the phone right now. My nemesis, but also good friend. Jack, how are you, buddy? I'm great, Jeff. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on here. Hey, man, you are on fire in 2018. Let's just go over some of the resume of what Jack has done already in this calendar year, and we're only in September. It started off in January. I thought, oh, boy, he's going to do really well at the Ontario Championships. Maybe give Adam Becker a run for his money. Nope. Jack said, you know what? I'm going to go over to Buffalo because this year the New York State Championship moved west as opposed to being in New York City. You went there and you might have ticked off a few Americans and uh, won the thing. Yeah, it was it was a, it was great. Uh, I really enjoy playing uh, playing with the guys from from New York. There's a, a great collection of guys that are uh, that are there. Uh, just to mention a few by name: uh, CJ, Paul Karras, Pavarelli, Matthew Carlson, uh, Levy. Also, but uh, Levy wasn't at the tournament, which uh, which obviously helped my chances. So you were the only Canadian represented at this big event, and you went on and then got to go to Vegas, and certainly that's a lot of fun too because, as we were just joking off the top, Becker's tough to beat in this province of ours of Ontario. So uh, was it a matter of you thought maybe I have a better chance in New York? Yeah, it's no secret that all, all roads through Ontario go through Adam Becker. Uh, he's a great player. He's a colorful player. Uh, for me, uh, I really appreciate, I enjoy um, the hard work that uh, Buffalo Pinball guys, specifically Nick and Kevin, do putting events together. There was a three-strike tournament the night before uh, that I thought it would be a good idea to attend. And, you know, Adam's Place is from downtown Toronto, where I live. Adam's Place is about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, and Buffalo's only two hours. So it wasn't that much of a difference from a time perspective. I'm sure there are a lot of New York players wondering where you'll go this year because you'll probably qualify for New York again, although it won't be in Buffalo. Yeah, the tournament's, the tournament's in New York City this year. Despite the fact that I would probably qualify straight up for New York, I'm, I'm going to play in Ontario. There you go, New Yorkers. You've got a chance. No Canadian winning it there unless uh, somebody else goes there. And we do have a few Canadians who've done well in New York, but I think it'll be represented by someone from your fine state. Well, let's move ahead as we talk about playing all over the place. It was kind of cool this year that IFPA 15 came to Adam Becker's place, the best players in the world, and you and I were alternates. You got in a lot earlier than I did. I had to wait for the, uh, I guess, the 11th hour for Herb from Austria not to show up, but that was a fun event, and I know you and I were both very, very excited to be participating in that for our first time. Yeah, I was thrilled to be a part of it. Uh, to, to be included in a group with, with the best players in the world is is a privilege, and, uh, you know, Josh... Uh, and Adam do, do some great work, uh, you know, just running the event and, and dealing with all the IFPA stuff. You know, we also wanted to host. You know, we wanted to show people 
coming from Europe, coming from the States, Australia, New Zealand, and we wanted to show them what pinball was like in Toronto. So fortunately, we got to do that with uh, some of the pre-events, and I was involved in organizing one of the pre-events, which was a pinball tournament at a place called Cabin Fever. We've had Robin Harrison on this program, and a lot of people have talked about Robin and Cabin Fever. It's a great place, really close to your home, too. But, I mean, some of the finest games, the tech, Dan Beeson there, does a great job. He's also one of the uh, operators of the machines, and you know him from Tilt in Toronto. That tournament was fantastic to see all those amazing players, and it was highlighted by a a 16-year-old from Germany who just showed experts like Daniele from Italy uh, how to play pinball. It It was a real show to see. Yeah, and again, it was a, it was a privilege to have all those great players in uh, in one location, and uh, it, being in North America, you you know you see people's rankings. You're especially Europeans. You don't really get a chance to play uh, against them, and and you wonder how the skills of some of these players, whom you don't really get a chance to see, match up against you know your skill or the skills of other North Americans. And uh, some players in particular uh, really impressed me. Uh, Johannes being one of them. I mean, Daniele Acciari was had a just blew my mind in terms of, of his skills, and uh, the other player was uh, Julio. It was great to watch him play. Julio Soriano from Spain. Yeah, I got to play with him at IFPA 15, and those three people you just mentioned there are in a whole nother level. You and I were talking about that on our way back from the Cleveland Pinball Show about the different tiers of players and. We're looking up at all three of those because that's something. And I think you were even telling me at Cabin Fever, you and Daniele got to spend some time and you've kind of done some new moves based on his play that he kind of taught you a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the two things that have been the most influential on me in terms of pinball and learning to play better, uh, one is just the general influence of Adam Becker, who's been there uh, to answer my questions and, and for me to watch him play since I got into competitive pinball in 2012. The other was just being able to play with Daniele for you know for eight hours essentially you know the two of us with other people, but being able to watch him closely and see how he reacts to certain situations has improved my game more than more than any sort of tutorial or video or practice session that I've had. It's interesting that you say that because that event was late May, early June, and then just shortly after that, you go like so many of us to replay where you play at Pinburg and you play at Intergalactic, and you did very well there a year ago. There's only one place to go, and that was up, and you won it all this year, which is so hard to do. The second biggest tournament in the world, Jack Tabman was the winner. Yeah, Jeff, I think I think for a lot of us, uh, you know, we have skills and and we feel good playing, but there are times in sort of competitions uh, when the pressure's on a bit where we don't feel like we're playing up to our standards. And it's a challenge for me. It remains a challenge for me. Fortunately, you know, intergalactic, uh, you know, you need to just get that sort of 30 to 45 seconds of ball time. You miss a few shots, you recover, enough time to settle down. And for me, uh, especially in that, you know, the, the final games, I was able to to get that, to get that 45 seconds of maybe missing a few times, making some saves, settling down, settling in, and uh, and making the shots that you need to make. And you don't always have that opportunity because, you know, as, as we all know, the physical nature of the game. There's something about Pittsburgh for you because you've had success before there. I think a few years ago at Pinburg, you were 11th, which is amazing. Finishing 11th at Pinburg is, uh, you know, something that I'm that I'm very proud of. Uh, I think the, that group in the in the uh, quarterfinals was uh, Levy, Keith Elwin, Robert Gagneau, and me. So 
you know, Levy and I stayed back and, and uh, Robert and, and Keith moved on. You know, Pinberg, for me, I feel comfortable on all eras of games. Uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not intimidated by classics. Uh, I feel like uh, my skill set can sort of transfer to, to all eras of games. And uh, I think, you know, even though I didn't qualify for the playoffs this year, uh, you know, generally I felt very comfortable and, and have done well for me at Pinberg. I want to point out that you went to Pittsburgh as someone on the waiting list to get in. So you knew at the very least you were going to play Intergalactic and maybe a pre-event. But yeah, I guess it was maybe a little nerve-wracking going there, not knowing for sure that you'd get in. Yeah, I mean, pinball events, it's great. You know, pinball is, is popular and, and uh, you know, events are, are selling out faster and faster. And I think anybody who's been on a pinball waiting list, especially Pinburg, I mean, you spend a lot of time thinking about it. You know, you're looking at that list, oh, why haven't they updated the list? And then maybe you go to the Pinburg list of participants, and there's only 837 people on this list. Where are the other three? And then you go to see if there's any duplicate names, and then you wonder why it's taking so long again for them to update. And slowly, slowly, you know, you make your way from uh, 108 to 102 and, you know, 65. I, I think when Pinburg started, I was uh, I was 50-something. Wow. But, uh, you know, Phil Birnbaum always tells a story... <laughs> was telling me a story about uh, one Pinberg a few years ago where he was third on the waiting list and uh, didn't get in. So you, you have that in the back of your mind as, as you register and you look around the waiting, the waiting uh, list and the registration desk and you see if there are any familiar faces. Fortunately, I was able to get in and uh, next year at, at 12 o'clock instead of 12.02, I'll make sure I'm at my computer. Jack, the year just continues to be great for you. Buffalo Pinball Summer Open. You and I were in the Classics 2 Finals, and I haven't been bragging about winning, so that must mean you won. Yeah, and, and Jeff, you know, being, being in, these, in these bigger tournaments and uh, being in, in, let's say, the, you know, the finals, it's such a thrill to be able to, to play well because you know, it's not something that has happened to me in the past in, in tournaments, but it was, it was just such a thrill for me to get in there to play with, uh, you know, in a group with you and, and you know, Jerry Bernard, who's one of the great classics players, uh, Trent Augenstein, who's you know, one of the all-time greats, and to be able to get in there and to play. We played uh, Fathom was the first game, and, and that was fine, and uh, Stargazer uh, was, was good. Uh, and by game three, it was, uh, it was between uh, Trent, Trent and I. Uh, the two of you had been eliminated, and uh, to just have one of those, I think they're called God Balls, on, uh, on Space Shuttle, and to be able to put up $6 million on, on one ball, which, I mean, it's not Eric Stone territory, but uh, it was something that I was just, I mean, while it's happening, you're just so excited. And uh, I'm glad that it happened on, on a bigger stage. That was something to see for sure. Again, your great success in New York State. So that's why I was kind of wondering off the top, are you going to go to the New York State Finals? Because you've got a couple of big wins there. And, you know, we were talking about waiting list. I think you were even on the waiting list, too, originally for the New York City Championships, weren't you? I was player 141, and uh, <laughs> they took 140. So I, that one I wasn't too worried about. I have to agree. But, you know, if, if you're not on, on social media... If you're not even just Facebook, if you're not keeping up with you know what's happening pinball, it can be a challenge uh, because if you're not signing up, uh, some some tournaments sell out in a minute or in in the case of the Zankton tournament even less. 
That's a good point, Jack. You're not on Facebook. I know you created a fake guy once just to really get a message out to everyone else under the fake name Jack Potts, which I thought was pretty funny. Now, why aren't you on social media? You're not alone. I'm just curious your reasons. I mean, for me, at least with Facebook, it was just not something that I signed up for when I was, you know, when it was becoming popular. And uh, it's definitely not something that I'm opposed to. And I find myself using Facebook more now. As, as you mentioned, I created Jackpots, and that's to help administer uh, our, our City Pinball League. And it was also to, uh, to join the groups for, for IFPA 15. So it's not, it's not that I have an issue with it. Specifically, I am on Facebook more now, just really only for pinball-related reasons. Fair enough. You mentioned City Pinball. That's something that's really grown. In Ontario, for those that don't know, there are so many different leagues. There are leagues in Toronto, 22 years now in standing. City Pinball is something you and Dan Beeson created a few years ago. You've got Bluffs in Scarborough. You've got Eddie's Durham League. There's the TCPL in Kitchener-Waterloo nearby, the big London Pinball League. There's now one in Hamilton, the Hammer City Pinball. I'm probably forgetting a few more, and forgive me if I am, but my goodness, there's a lot of pinball. We're not quite at Washington State, but... There certainly are a lot of opportunities, a lot of choices for pinball, and you've created one with City Pinball. Yeah, I think, Jeff, you know, from a, from a broader perspective, we have people in certain roles who are contributing to the growth of pinball. So you, know, you have members of the community who are prepared to give up their time and say, look, I want to run a sanctioned league. I want to be an ambassador for pinball who greets new people and makes them feel welcome and you know, organizes something where everyone, you know, a place where everyone can get together with, you know, like-minded interests and to play pinball. And I think that's a big part of what the people organizing leagues are doing. Uh, You know, from an even broader perspective, you can't do that without having games that play well. You know, there's sort of the old-timey operator who, you know, comes in, opens up the coin door, collects the money, and leaves. And we're seeing a major shift from that old-time attitude. Uh, I didn't coin this phrase, but you know, you're seeing the rise of the operator enthusiast. So we have in Toronto, you know, we have Dan Beeson, who just does an amazing job making sure the machines work, making sure there are new machines. But you, know, you also have guys like uh, Nick and, and Jamie and, and that group in, in Buffalo, uh, it, other Canadians, you have Derek Thompson, Die Hard Pinball in Alberta, and, and even in, in my home province, uh, we're seeing you know the old the old time guy being pushed out a bit by uh, David Morris and uh, and and his crew who are committed to putting in new working clean pinball machines, and to me that's going to grow pinball. You know, more than a lot of the other things that are talked about. You're from Winnipeg, Manitoba. Jack, actually, you're there right now as we speak, and uh, I follow Manitoba Pinball on Twitter, and those guys seem to be really growing as far as the Western Canada and Prairie scene. It's nice to see growth in places that are maybe a little more remote than others. Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled with, uh, with the direction uh, you know, the pinball is going in Manitoba and also you know, in Western Canada. They're committed, uh, Manitoba Pinball League is committed to having some great events. And, uh, you know, same thing in, in Edmonton, Alberta, Saskatchewan. I love seeing these guys now who are starting to come to events. It's comforting you know, for me to see, let's say, someone like Derek Thompson, who has just a, a perfect prairie Canadian accent. 
Uh, and it's great. To, so I don't know if if you're familiar with fishtails and, uh, you know, the call out where uh, it's, oh, you got one on there, eh? Uh, that's how Derek talks. And uh, I love him. And it's, it's comforting for me to hear those prairie accents when you're out at international tournaments. It makes you feel like you're not alone. He does a great job at Yagpin. Boy, I know myself and a lot of the Seattle players had a lot of fun there in Edmonton. And watch for that in, I believe, late April next year, if not early May. But uh, check that out. Yagpin, too. Derek's a, a great player. And he did really well just recently at the Vancouver flip-out. So many big tournaments and things going on. You're always kind of trying to create what will draw people to events. And we know there are different types of players. There are the ones that like the casual aspects. Maybe it's like league play, it's conversation, it's having a beer. There are also those that are watching the IFPA standings and they're a little more competitive. So it's the balance that you try to find out when you have tournaments because you want to have as many people as possible. You want them having fun and getting to play for a little bit. Maybe costs a factor as well too. You and I, when we were coming back from Cleveland, we were talking about something that you've kind of bounced around as far as having a main and a classics event in Toronto. Do you want to talk about that? Maybe create some interest? Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Uh, you know, I, I think it's time for Toronto to host, you know, a, a, a world-class event, something that, that people will travel for. And just, you know, personally, you go around, you go to these different tournaments. Often there are people you know, and it's like a, a party that, that you're going to, but somebody always has to host a party, and, and maybe it's not uh, that much fun to be a host, but somebody has to do it. And uh, I think it's our turn to do that, to host a, a major event. And I think the challenge for me is that uh, the, the place that I have access to, uh, Cabin Fever, is not a large venue. So what we've decided to do, or what we're going to go with, is you know, we talk about, you know, there's a lot of talk amongst players in terms of what the best formats are for, for tournaments. Is it, you know, pump and dump, uh, match play? And we've seen some new frenzy formats uh, coming out. So what, what we'd like to do is have four separate time periods that players can sign up for that are essentially herb style, where uh, you can play as many entries as you're able to in that time period. So it would be, uh, for the main tournament, Friday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., and 6 p.m. to 1 a.m. Those are two separate shifts. One would be on Friday, one would be on Saturday. And you limit each session to, uh, let's say, 20 players. So you have 20 players playing nine machines. So that keeps the cues short, and that allows players to play you know, as, many, as many games as they can within that time period, and they'll still have a chance to learn the games, play them over and over again, and I hope feel like they've had enough entries to say, okay, you know, this is, this is based on, on my skill. Then there would be a playoff element, too, which would be uh, very unique. So we're looking full TGP, a lot of different players, two different tournaments. Jack, you got to get on this. This sounds like a great idea. I think when you told me about it, I think I threw my wallet at you. I said, here you go. Right, okay. So just, just to uh, – right. So the main tournament, uh, let's say 80 people, top 24. Uh, the Classics tournament would actually be held in my garage, which is two blocks away from Cabin Fever. Uh, the garage is an office space. It's used by Dan Beeson. There's a number of pinball machines in there, and uh, we would set things up. So you would sign up for a main session. You would sign up for a classic session, and that way you'd have an opportunity to qualify uh, for both. 
again, get on it, kid, because this sounds awesome. We're uh, looking forward to that. Jack's the kind of guy, and people don't know this, we talked about some of those leagues in Ontario, and there were several. He put all eight leagues together last year and did this Champions tournament where they took the four best players from each league and had this little round robin. That was a lot of fun, but a lot of work too. And I know it might not have been logistically possible with the different areas, but again, I tip my cap to you for even trying to put that together, and it was fun. Yes, thanks, Jeff. I mean, we tried the format. It was, uh, you know, based on loosely based on the Champions League uh, in European soccer, and uh, you know, it was a lot of work. But you know, this community can't function without people giving up a lot of their time to do pinball-related things, and it can't always be the fun things like playing in tournaments. Uh, sometimes you have to do admin stuff or organization stuff, and uh, that's all part of being interested in, in growing growing what we have. Hey, Jack, you got a good point there, too. You know, it is a lot of work, and it's things behind the scene. It's it's lugging machines. It's getting techs, getting volunteers, getting things set up. It is a lot of work, and I'm sure in the tournaments that you've been at and I've been at, we hear some people and some rumblings of people kind of complaining, and it's discouraging to me when those are the people that haven't lifted a finger to volunteer for that tournament or any tournament. You really need to kind of help out to have a voice, I would think. And really, if you're going to complain about something, offer a solution, not a problem. Yeah, I I agree with you in part, Jeff. I mean, I think that uh, it is important to be supportive of people running tournaments, absolutely. But there's also a minimum standard of competence that a tournament director needs to achieve in order to avoid, you know, complaining or grumbling from players. And if that minimum standard isn't met, I, I think it's reasonable for players, even players who uh, don't volunteer, to to take issue and to be upset you know, with, with that situation. Because it's one thing to see from the tournament player's perspective. From the player's perspective, a player may be flying, driving, uh, spending money on, ho- on hotel rooms, spending money on entries, taking time off work. And, uh, you know, it's important, I think, that a minimum standard is, is met there. Fair enough, and I do actually agree with you there, Jack. I was really being more specific about those that are doing their job, being transparent, setting things up. It's the complaints about things like, oh, I hate that game. Well, that doesn't have anything to do with a tournament. That's a game you knew that was in the tournament before you signed up. You know, if it's not playing well, if there's weak flippers, sure, that's an issue and stuff, and hopefully there's some text there. But as far as the tournament format, if you know that all in advance, it's really, then why did you come if you don't like it? That's the one thing I've never understood. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Jeff. Uh, my grandmother had an expression, which was, uh, thank God I'm here to complain. <laughs> And, uh, you know, she's no longer with us. So at, after she passed, you know, that, that explanation and that, or that expression sort of took on a, a deeper meaning. But I, I think about that a lot. If you're complaining, that means you're alive. Well, then I've got a complaint, Jack. And I only do this because you're a buddy of mine. If you ever see Jack, he always wears either a Blue Jays hat or a, I think it's a skateboard hat or something like that. And you've got the sticker on it. And you know, as I'm a baseball player... It drives me nuts. I'm like, why do you have the size of your hat on there? Take that sticker off. And I try to grab it every single time I see you. And you, you're quick, you're agile, you get away. So now I gotta, I've got you on the mic here. you got to explain, why do you keep it on? Because it bugs us. It bugs Becker, bugs me. Why do you do it? Well, Jeff, I mean, I think most <laughs> importantly, if I'm getting fashion advice from you, I know I must be doing something right. <laughs> Have you ever seen Jack play, by the way? He went to Cleveland with sandals, and the sandal broke. So any kind of movement he had, you might have taken a sandal to the face if you were in earshot of Jack, too. Maybe you and I both aren't exactly fashion experts. I'll give you that. All right, fair enough. 
Well, one thing I can't complain about is the way you've been playing. You're on fire, and you know what? There won't be a waiting list for you for IFPA 16 in Italy next year. I can tell you that right now, the way you're playing. It's nice to see a skyrocket to top 50. Thanks, Jeff. I mean, it's you look at the standings, and you know you look at the names, and it takes a while, and I, I'm not there yet where I'm saying to myself... You know, okay, I'm I'm here. I belong with all these great players. Uh, you know, personally, I still look up to a lot of the guys, and you know, above and and below the standings. For me, I'd really like to see some success in the the main division of a of a major tournament before I really feel like I will take in a step forward. You know, not not to focus too much on results, but the process is is mental, and I think the results uh, need to be there. I was going to let you go, but I have to follow up with that. Now, when you say the main event, you just won the Classics at Buffalo Pinball Summer Open. To me, that's a main event. I realize there aren't modern games there, but if you look at modern tournaments, even New York, even Pinburg, even Papa, they all have a mix of classic games in there as well. So is that not showing your skill set, even if you just win a Classics? I understand what you're saying, Jeff, and, and obviously I'm, I'm very happy with, with the Classics wins. Um, but I think what you see in the, if, if not the winner of classics tournaments, but the top four, top eight, uh, you see a lot of variance in terms of who is making it into the finals and semifinals and even qualifying for those tournaments as compared to the main tournaments where it really is the same people or, you know, within some range, similar people qualifying, you know, time and time again. And there is a lot more of margin for error in terms of winning a classics tournament than there is in in a main tournament. I mean, you know, to put up a score, let's say, on Iron Maiden that's 400, 500 million, I mean, you need to hit hundreds of shots. Whereas to put up, you know, a, a big score in classics, you may only need to hit 15, 20, 25 shots. So because of that... Uh, and because of the variance in, in classics games, it's a lot more challenging to win. And, and no offense to please to any of the great classics players out there, uh, to me it's more challenging to win a main tournament, um, the main event, than it is to win a classics tournament. I think you're right, too. I do. I mean, I'm not going to take anything from classics, and I don't believe you are, too, but you got a good point there. I think we just played Stingray, and if that 55,000 saucers not lit and you don't get it in there, you could be playing all day. And you could make 10, 5,000 shots and still not be rewarded for 155. You got a good point there. Right. And in Maine, I mean, everybody more or less, if you're following the same strategy, you're following the same path in terms of the shots that you're trying to make. So it's who executes it best. If we're not seeing you at a tournament, we're going to be seeing you on TV. It aired in Canada on Game TV, but it was a little segment you did on how the game is played. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, Jeff. So how the game is played is a Canadian series. Uh, it followed Adam and I as we prepared and then played in IFPA 15. So the you know the purpose of the show was to um, you know demonstrate the big tournament in pinball, which you know in this case was was IFPA 15, and to follow my path, to follow Adam's path, and then as we played in the tournament to show our progress, and then also to teach uh, people about pinball, how machines work, how you're supposed to play, strategies, flipper skills, because you know the audience is not a pinball audience. The audience uh, will have you know little to no background on pinball. But even though the show focused on Adam and me, there's still a lot of great cameos from you know people within the community that uh, I think uh, I think a lot of your listeners will recognize. 
Jack, I know I'll see you soon. I'm glad you shared your story here on Pinball Profile for those who don't know you. But if you want to know who Jack is, just look up at the standings and there you'll find him. Thanks very much for coming on today. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. This has been your Pinball Profile. You can find our group on Facebook. We're also on Twitter at Pinball Profile. Email us, pinballprofile at gmail.com. Please subscribe on either iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Check out pinballprofile.com. I'm Jeff Teolis. She's getting this old.